0: Before we get started tonight, I wanted to let everyone know that I'm going to be plugging other small podcasts before every show. These are podcasts that are not part of a large network and are generally within the theme of this show. Don't worry, I'm not getting too crazy with it. I'm only allowing 30 or 60 second commercials, so they're easy to skip over. Of course, I hope you don't because I am actively trying to promote other small podcasts. Besides, I legitimately think you'll like some of these. So without further ado...
1: Hi, Techie Joe here. I work with Asa Knight and some of the best psychics in West Virginia to create amazing live streams and podcasts for the Psychic Coffee Shop Network. Together, we brew up great content discussing news, events, hot topics, and more, all from a psychic perspective. On The Psychic Coffee Shop, we interview amazing authors in the metaphysical realm. Coffee and Tea combines Asin with Tracy, Dottie, Natalie, or Lady Gwendolyn for the good and the bad of being a psychic. Shameless self-promotion with Dottie the Psychic talks to leading and emerging YouTubers and business owners in our community. Mountain Bears brings you the latest in LGBT news and politics. The Psychic That Plans answers the question of, well, how a psychic plans. Plus, we're live on air. We take your comments and your questions, including psychic advice questions. Check out our amazing programming, book an appointment with top psychics, and find out all the wonderful things we have to offer at pcsbnetwork.com today.
0: You're listening to the Esoteric News Briefs. Your source for the paranormal, the mysterious, and the strange. Welcome back, goblins! I'm your host, Jason, and you are listening to the Esoteric News Briefs, Episode 3.5, The More Things Change. Before we get started, I want to thank the members of the Esoteric Archive. At the archivist level, Kylie H. and Soul Rising Studios. At the chronicler level, Annie K. And finally... Grand Inquisitor Samantha. If you would like to join the Esoteric Archive, go to patreon.com forward slash esotericbookclub. Those pledging $3 or more a month get extended episodes, and those pledging $8 or more get a shout-out on the show and a warm, tingly sensation that may or may not be related to the fifth-dimensional transcendental coffee enema that you just received. Man, what a waste of coffee. But enough about that. You've come for the news, so let's get weird. Starting off tonight, we have a ton of articles on... Dinosaur News. Okay, so this first article is a little bit older than dinosaurs, but it's still paleontological. Finding a treasure trove of 260-million-year-old fossils would be the crowning achievement for a lot of fossil hunters. What could dampen this find of a lifetime? How about forgetting where it was located? This is exactly what happened with the Cerro Chato fossil site in Brazil. Discovered in 1951 on the border of Brazil and Uruguay, the site was not recorded with any detail because there was frankly no real way to tag it. Yes, you could mark its location on a map, but that requires accurate cartography. Combine that with the lack of defining features in the terrain, and you are very likely to lose track of the site especially if you are trying to keep its location secret until you can return with excavating equipment. Don't think that these explorers gave up easily. They made several failed expeditions before declaring the site lost. This all changed when a massive treasure hunt was launched, which culminated in the rediscovery of Cerro Chato in 2019. Paleobotanist Joseline Munfroy stated, Quote, for decades, the geographic location of this outcrop was unknown. Fortunately, after so long, we will have the opportunity to continue writing history through the fossil record. End quote. The fossils found at Cerro Chato are dated to the late Permian period, whose mass extinction made space for the reign of the dinosaurs, give or take a million years or so. What paleontologists are finding is primarily fish, mollusks, and botanical ancestors of modern conifers. What makes this site even more exciting is that the topmost layer of fossils contains the species that lived at the end of the Permian, which means that there is the chance that they could be excavating even older fossils in the rock layers beneath. Given the relative date of the fossils excavated so far, Scientists are hopeful that they can get a better picture of the climate conditions that led to the Earth's third mass extinction. Was the Chicxulub asteroid the only interstellar object to strike the planet's surface at the end of the Cretaceous? A new discovery in western Africa may point towards a secondary impact crater. What we thought was a singular catastrophic event may have been a series of devastating impacts that instantly decimated the globe the impact crater was discovered when geologist Eusdian nicholson was collecting seismographic data to research plate tectonics in the region he wanted to examine the forces that drove south america and africa apart 100 million years ago instead he found an odd geographical formation buried beneath 1,300 feet of ocean sediment. This geological formation is indicative of a massive impact from an extraplanetary object. You may be picturing craters on the moon right now, but this... this is a little different. Because the impact site was underwater, the physical shape is not as rigidly defined. When the object strikes, it displaces water, sediment, and stone. Some of the material is instantly vaporized, while the rest of it is scattered around the impact site. Because water always seeks the lowest point, all that debris-filled ocean water rushed in to fill the now molten core of the crater, bringing suspended sediment with it. As this turbulent water re-enters the void created by the asteroid, It cools the molten stone and backfills the space with particulates, which then settle, filling and covering the impact site. To the naked eye, the seabed appears level. But when viewed with a seismograph, it looks like a conical mountain with a deep trench around the perimeter. Now, this is all speculation until actual drilling can occur. To confirm this formation as an impact site, scientists need to find evidence of minerals and stone formations caused by intense heat created by an impact. A proposal for this exploration has been submitted, but even if it is funded, the earliest that they could begin is 2024 or 2025. David Kring, one of the contributing scientists who found the Chicxulub impact site, said, quote, I have to congratulate the team for finding what looks like a probable impact crater. That's very important, because we have so few impact craters preserved on the Earth. Every single one that we can find provides a new window, new insights into the geological processes that shape them, and their effects on biological evolution of Earth. End quote. Preliminary results show that this impact happened roughly within an 800,000-year window around the time of the Chicxulub impact. This means that while it could have been part of this impact event, it also could have been a separate event that added to the devastation of the previous one. And honestly, I'm not sure which scenario is worse. Two asteroids striking back-to-back, or a second asteroid impact, when the earth is finally starting to recover from the first. I think it may be a universal truth that at some point in every living species' lives, they will eat something that they regret. This can sometimes lead to death, but more often than not, it ends with a very, very bad night. It seems that dinosaurs were no exception to this rule. Paleontologists recently found something called a regurgitolite, fossil vomit, when they were excavating the Morrison Formation in southeastern Utah. The area is lovingly called the Jurassic Salad Bar because of the volume of preserved plant material. So when a small pile of bones appeared, scientists were understandably excited. This one square centimeter fossil pile contained the remains of at least one frog and one salamander. What led scientists to conclude that this was a regurgitolite was the fact that, unlike coprolites or fossil feces, the organic material was not fully digested. That means that some of the surrounding stone is fossilized soft organic material. Further analysis should allow scientists to figure out what else, if anything, was eaten along with these two amphibians. John Foster, curator of the Utah Field House of Natural History State Park Museum, said, quote, "We think that there's more to this thing than just the tiny bones of amphibians." End quote. While there have been other regurgitolites found around the world, this is the first example found in the Morrison Formation. So, long story short, don't eat salamanders. Every once in a while, I have to read an article on this episode just because it's so bad. This is one of those times. I'm going to read this article as written in its entirety. One thing that sets humans apart from other animals as far as we know, is that we are sentient. Not only do we have large brains and keen intelligence, but we are self-aware. We are conscious. We sense the world around us in an advanced way and know that we exist and that others exist. Our species has been around for just a few hundred thousand years, a newcomer on the geological scene. So why didn't dinosaurs develop sentience during their evolutionary run that exceeded 150 million years? First off, we assume that they didn't, because they didn't leave records of things like writing, language, and other sentient thought processes in the fossil record. But we do know from CT scanning of fossil skulls that many dinosaurs had very large brains could those large brains have eventually become sentient? Maybe, if the end-Cretaceous asteroid impact didn't knock out dinosaurs in their prime and pave the way for our mammalian ancestors. That's it. That's the whole article. If you use a phrase like, first off, you usually follow up with a secondary thought later. But nope, not in this article. This is the journalistic equivalent of walking on stage, asking, Why didn't dinosaurs develop sentience? Pausing for effect, only to reply, Who says they didn't? And then dropping the mic and walking off stage. Oh well, I guess they can't all be winners, can they? Our last entry in dinosaur news is quite a special one. In 2017, one of the biggest stories was the discovery of a fossilized nodosaur that was so well preserved that it was deemed a mummy. The creature had skin, bones, and armor plating intact, as well as microscopic traces of pigment that could assist paleontologists in reconstructing the creature's coloration. Recently, another mummy dinosaur was discovered, this time a yet undetermined species of hadrosaur. It is undetermined because so far, it has not been excavated. It's really a strange find. A field team, including Professor Brian Pickles and Caleb Brown, just happened to see parts of the preserved dinosaur protruding from the edge of an eroded cliff while on a scouting trip. They were searching for viable areas to excavate for an international field school while at Dinosaur Provincial Park in Alberta, Canada. I'd say they found a pretty good site. The timing of their discovery was rather astounding, too. It was literally a situation where they were in the right place at the right time, because the body had only recently begun to be exposed by erosion. Only the last two to three feet of the tail and one ankle of the animal are visible in the cliff face, but those parts contain such detail that individual scales on the skin are visible with the naked eye. Erosion may have exposed the hadrosaur, but it had yet to damage it. There are close-up photos of the skin included in the article, and it does indeed look like the surface of a basketball as described. Based on the little bit of evidence visible, the species and relative age of the animal could still be determined. To make this discovery even more astounding, this hadrosaur is a juvenile. According to Professor Pickles, hadrosaurs matured extremely quickly meaning that we have had very few examples of juveniles in the fossil record. Quote, The animal probably either died and then immediately got covered over by sand and silt in the river, or it was killed because a riverbank fell onto it, said Pickles. It is anticipated that the specimen will be excavated from the surrounding rock by the end of summer 2023, and then it will be transported to a lab, where detailed work can begin. There is hope that the rest of the body will be equally as well preserved, including the internal organs and stomach contents. Let's jump forward a few million years to the Ice Age, where we find that children really have not changed all that much. Kids love mud puddles. It's just a proven fact. And what do children do when they see a mud puddle? They jump in them, of course. Even 11,000 years ago, this was a truism. What's astounding in this recent find is the origin of those mud puddles. Matthew Bennett, a professor of environmental and geographical sciences, discovered a trackway belonging to a giant ground sloth at White Sands, New Mexico. What made this trackway unique is that within the large sloth footprints were the much, much smaller footprints of at least four human children. These human footprints belonged to children ages 5 through 8 and were found zigzagging across, and through, the larger prints. While there is no other physical evidence to help determine the exact age of these tracks, giant ground sloths did go extinct around 11,000 years ago, which at least gives us a minimum age for this find. Quote, In the past, you would have just taken your kid to work, and if your work was walking across the former lake bed in order to track an animal, you would have just taken your child with you, states Bennett. As if hunting weren't difficult enough, imagine stalking something the size of a large bear with four giggling children in tow. Ah, the good old days. Hey, hey, don't play in that. That is not a pile of mud. A line of fur-clad men travel by torchlight, single file, deep into the recesses of the gaping maw of an Ice Age cave. When they reach a depth where no surface light can be seen. They unroll leather bundles containing red stones known as ochre, long hollowed-out bones, and shells used to hold quantities of pigment. In ritual silence, they mix skins full of water with the powdered red ochre, hold the pigment in their mouths, place their hands on the wall of the cave, and using a hollow bone, they spit the pigment, making a primitive spray paint. When they remove their hand, there is a stenciled image of their digits. An ageless mark that said, I was here. At least, that's the traditional view of paintings that have been found in many caves throughout Western Europe. It seems that these moments may have had less reverent silence and more giggling silliness of a kindergarten classroom. Researchers from Cambridge University and the University of Cantabria have 3D modeled the hands that were used to create 180 works from five different cave systems. Up to 25% of those images, around 45 stenciled hands, were made by individuals between the ages of 3 and 10 years old. Granted, children would not have had the lung capacity necessary to spray the paint, so it is assumed that adults or teenagers were involved in the process. But, that still shows that this was not a practice segregated to adult men only. Quote, Many more children's hands came out than we expected. It would appear that artistic activity was not a closed activity closely linked to male individuals and the survival of the group, as had been thought until now. Says lead author Veronica Fernandez Navarrojical. It is still believed that certain hand signals as depicted by folding down digits before spraying, could have been used as a form of nonverbal communication. In hindsight, I wonder if they've considered that this could be a record of the growth of individuals over their lifetime. It would be like the caveman equivalent of marking the height of your child on the doorframe. Of course, I'm not an archaeologist. I'm just a bearded weirdo with a podcast. A proposed Spanish avocado plantation has led to the discovery of one of the largest megalithic sites in southern Spain. Prior to getting a permit for the plantation, a site survey had to take place, and that is when it was discovered that the stones found on the property were not naturally occurring. Spanning more than 1.5 thousand acres and containing over 500 standing stones, It is believed that this site is one of the largest in Europe and easily the largest on the Iberian Peninsula. Even more fascinating is the fact that many of the stones are still in their original formations. There are alignments, which are linear formations of standing stones along a common axis, cromlech, or stone circles, and dolmens, a pair of standing stones with a third stone balanced atop the two. The site contained two hilltopped Kromleks, one aligned with the Solstice and one aligned with the Equinoxes. Excavation is underway and is scheduled to continue through 2026. Needless to say, the proposed plantation will not be moving forward. That's all I've got for the goblins. Archive members, stick around for some artificial intelligence shenanigans. For the rest of you, until next time, remember... Stay weird. All right, you extra special weirdos. Tonight, we have necrobots, AI physicists, and racist AI rappers.